anything you say shall be taken down and used against you. Sean's got all my albums. He just wanted to make sure we didn't miss this one. Um, thank you for uh, having me to speak here. Very brave of you. Uh, and it's really good to be here. Um, and I think the Alpha Course is one of the most important and exciting parts of the local church. And there are churches that are seemingly enormous. And there are churches that are seemingly tiny, and some of them have huge Alpha courses and some of them have tiny ones, but all of them are so important and valuable. Uh, and so for whatever reason you're here, uh, I think it's an exciting point, uh, hopefully in your lives uh, and in the life of St. Dinus as well. So I'm glad to be here. And tonight we are thinking about the Bible. And there's a note that gives some kind of vague outline uh, for the talk. What about the Bible? Harry mentioned I'm a lawyer. I've got here a very interesting book. It's called Further Computer Contracts uh, by an obscure author called M-T Michelle Rennie. No idea who that person is. Uh, it's completely out of date. It was published in 1988, and if you want anything to do with computer law, you'll definitely want something that's sort of 2008, not 1988. Uh, and it's full of uh, sort of old, dull clauses for contracts and regulations and statutes. And... If I was to give it to any of you, you'd say that the best place for it was in the bin. So we put it in the bin, which is where it deserves to be. And then we have another book that has these obscure authors, uh, loads of them in fact, and most of them we have no idea who they are, who they were. Uh, completely out of date, it wasn't published in 1988, but, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. Uh, irrelevant, out of date, full of old laws... Uh, regulations and sayings that, that don't have much relevance to modern life. And uh, we're quite polite in sort of Parsons Green and so we probably don't put the Bible in the bin. But that's how we feel about it. We'll just sort of leave it on a shelf maybe to gather a bit of dust. But we may as well put it in the bin because it does seem obscure and out of date and irrelevant. That's how a lot of us feel a lot of the time about the Bible. But there's a quandary with that because... The Bible is a bit different to, you know, the computer laws of 1988. And whatever we might feel about it at this point in our lives, we can't deny its uniqueness, its unique popularity, uh, power. Uh, for many people, a very precious book. Um, Shakespeare is in 60 languages. The Bible is in over 2,000 languages. No other book's been translated into so many languages. Um, apparently there are 6.8 Bibles in every American home. I don't quite know what that means, actually, but other than there are a lot of Bibles. Uh, according to the Times, the, the English Times, the Bible in England would always be at the top of the bestseller list every single week, if it was allowed to be, but it, it's not allowed to be. Uh, there are a one and a quarter million Bibles sold every year in, in the UK. So whatever we might feel about it, it is popular for some reason. Uh, it is powerful. Uh, even if we go back just in history, um, 200 years, 300 years more recently, those who have been the greatest movers and shakers in social transformation find their 
motivation and their roots for what they're doing in the words of the Bible. Wilberforce and his campaign to end the slave trade, a man deeply grounded in the message of the Bible. Mother Teresa, deeply grounded. Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement. Those were people with big names, but actually if you kind of peel off the lid of endless communities around the UK and around the world, there'll be endless small groups of people who are beavering away to try and make a difference in their community because they're grounded in the message of the Bible. I think of a group of retired people from a church I used to belong to in south-east London who uh, they met for a weekly Bible study uh, together uh, and then from that they met to run a whole load of training courses and skills courses for the local um, immigrant population, for refugees who had no language skills and no employment skills. And uh, one day a week, they would run a whole session of, of skills and language courses. But the reason for that small but powerful service in the community was their, was their motivation that they found through the words of the Bible. Uh, it is popular, it is powerful, uh, and... In countries where you can't just sort of buy them off the shelf of W.H. Smith, the Bible is deeply precious. And if you go to parts of China, so I've read and I'm told, the Bible will be the most precious belonging some Christians may have if they happen to have one. Uh, and they give their eye teeth to get one. So we've got this sort of strange tension going on. Uh, the Bible, some, to be honest, even if you are a preacher... There will be times when the Bible is dusty and dull and dead and difficult uh, and yet powerful and transforming in society. And there is this tension. And we're thinking a bit more about the Bible and how to get to grips with it. And I want us to grab... Have we got Bibles? Shall we... Because we're thinking about the Bible, probably good to look at it a little bit. Um, I was looking at something on page 915 of, of, of these Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, and Jesus says this, he says, People do not live on bread alone, these famous words that... Uh, you know, you can quote, they don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The, the created, the physical world that is around us gives us many wonderful things, from the food we eat, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, uh, um, especially if we're in the fortunate, developed world. But they, they don't give us enough. We cannot live on bread alone. We need the word of God and somehow that gives us a deeper spiritual life. And that is what we truly need. And over the Alpha Course, uh, up to now, the focus has been on Jesus. Uh, who was he? What's the historical evidence for him? Jesus, why did he die? What was he doing giving his life on the cross? Jesus, what happened in the tomb? His resurrection. Did, did he rise from the grave? And what does that mean? Can we have relationship with God through Jesus, who has kind of opened the doors to God for us? Uh, those are the questions. And this takes 
the discussion and the conversation to the next step, which is, yes, we can have that relationship with God through Jesus, and the Bible is absolutely integral to that, even though there are times when it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult because it, it is a dense book. There are a lot of small words on each page. And, you know, I like to read London Light, and they have not very many words on a large page. But it's also difficult because we know that there's a message intrinsic, buried in it, of service, of sacrifice, uh, even of suffering for the benefit of other people. And we kind of know with our, with our third ear that that's what we're probably going to hear a bit of if we pick it up. And the kind of mixture of the small words and the challenge that it comes with uh, make it a challenging book. But it's essential if we want to grapple with and know Jesus and know God through Jesus. Now, is that to say that uh, if we want to hear God speaking, the only place we can go is the Bible? Just to put that in context, because we've just, you know, Jesus said we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How has God spoken? Well, he speaks to us in the rounds. He does speak to us through the Bible, but he speaks to us more broadly. He speaks to us through the world we live in. Um, and we can't shut him out on that one. No matter what we might say with our minds, as, as far as the Bible is concerned, the creation speaks to us every moment about God's qualities and power. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says this in, in Romans chapter 2. He says that God's reality and his invisible qualities, his divine nature, his eternal power, are plain to us from the world around us. God is speaking to us from the world around us. No matter what we might say, that is the witness of the world around us. God speaks to us through our world. He speaks to us most fully and most perfectly through Jesus. And the writer to the Hebrews put it like this. He said, God has spoken in many and various ways, but in these last days, and these are the days that we're in, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. But we meet him, we meet with Jesus through the word that God has given us, the God-breathed word. And I want us to look at another verse from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is a kind of essential verse for this talk. Page 1132. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Now this is one of those difficult verses because it's a, a verse about the authority and truth of the Bible, but it's in the Bible. So there's, you know, definitely there's some discussion uh, in group time for that, but this is what it says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. God has spoken to us and speaks to us through his creation perfectly through Jesus. But this is breathed by God, spoken by God. It is God speaking to us. It is our authority as Christians for our lives, for what we believe uh, and for what we do. It's God breathed, it's God spoken. Not that we believe that God dictated it, literally dropped it out of heaven or dictated it to a secretary. But he has given it to us through human authors, and there's a potential discussion around that, because how does that work? 
But over a period of 1,500 years, through 40 different writers, kings, scholars, philosophers, poets, shepherds, statesmen, historians, fishermen, doctors, they all wrote together the Bible. And they make it up with, with a very diverse um, amount of literature. History, poetry, prophecy, letters, all sorts of different literature. But the claim is that this literature is 100% breathed by God, spoken by God, and 100% human. Somehow it is both. And the illustration is often given to express that tension uh, is... Uh, Christopher Wren, the designer and the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral. He took 35 years building St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, He was 79 when when it was finished. That's amazing, isn't it? 35 years of his life seeing this cathedral built up from the plans that he had drawn. But did he lay a single block of that cathedral? No. He was the architect. He was the designer. And he oversaw its building, but he didn't build it. And yet we say... Oh, St. Paul's Cathedral by Sir Christopher Wren. And God has not pulled out a big biro and written the Bible, and yet we say this is God's word by God, given to us through human hands. So we believe, because it's God's word, that it is our authority for what we believe and for how we live. Therefore, the Bible is true. Uh, But you may say to me, well, that presents me with some real difficulties, because... Are you saying, therefore, the Bible is literally true? Literally true about everything I read in it? Uh, True about the six-day creation? True about Noah and the ark and every single animal? Uh, True about the walls of heaven being made of precious stones? True about some of the frightening and vivid imagery that you see in the book of Revelation about creatures with horns on their head and all of this sort of stuff? The Bible is true. The Bible is true, but one phrase somebody said to me, and I have no idea who it was, but I found it really helpful, is this. The Bible is true in so far as it sets itself out to be true. Put it like this. I might get two letters tomorrow morning. Um, I might get one from the bank manager, and I might get one from my girlfriend. And the letter from the bank manager uh, might say, you are £10,000 overdrawn. And the letter from my girlfriend undoubtedly will say... uh, I would swim the deepest ocean for you. <laughs> no, I probably won't say that. But, but the, the, the fact is, both of those letters, potentially, are true. One is kind of specifically, scientifically true, if I'm £10,000 overdrawn. Uh, and the other is poetically and metaphorically true. But they're both speaking truth about truths in a true way, if, if I can labour the point. And so if you, if you open Luke's Gospel... Uh, Luke, the doctor and the historian, he says this at the very beginning of his gospel. He says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus. So he's saying to this guy, Theophilus, who he's writing his, his account of Jesus' life for, I've carefully investigated it and I've written an orderly account. You could probably get from that that Luke wants us to take what he's written as specifically, historically, scientifically, if you like, true. He's he's not writing in poem and metaphor. However, if you open up the uh, initial chapters of Genesis, then it's undoubtedly right that there is poetry and metaphor in that. Does it mean that Genesis doesn't say that God is the creator of the world? No, of of course that's the truth Genesis is trying to declare. 
But does Genesis want us to specifically believe in a six-day, 24-hour creation? Well, do you know what? I don't know, and I don't think it really matters, because that's not actually what it's about. It's about God is our creator. He is the author of life, and we should pay attention to him. So the Bible is true insofar as it sets itself out to be true. Well, you may say, well, that's fine, but there are other difficulties. It's not just that some of it seems sort of unbelievable on a scientific basis. It's also that some of it is either very complicated or, or, or just difficult morally. I mean, there's, there's accounts of battles and, and violence, um, and there's accounts of heaven and hell, uh, and I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, well, if you're saying that, then everybody else in this room is in the same boat. All of us must feel that about the Bible. It has got some very difficult challenges within it. But how, how do we deal with them? Well, uh, one, one thought about how to deal with them is, how do you deal with the issue of a loving God and a suffering world? This is how, how I respond to the issue of a loving God and a suffering world. It's un, undoubted that there is suffering around us that, you know, causes us great grief. How can God love us? Well, because Jesus' arms were outstretched on the cross for each one of us. God in his love has suffered for us. Has that solved the problem of suffering and the philosophy, the philosophical problem of suffering? No, it hasn't. But it allows me to, to hang on to God's love and, and stay in tension and wrestle with the fact that there is suffering. Does that mean I sort of cross out God because there is suffering? No, I don't. I know he loves me and I just sort of, sometimes I have to press the pause button because I might not get an answer in this lifetime. And there may be other things in the Bible that we may not get an answer to why they're there in this lifetime. But does that mean we cross out the whole lot? Or do we say, actually, God is trustworthy. Uh, And if, wherever one of my Bibles is, I've got, you know, 99%... Um, that I'm absolutely okay with, does that mean I cross them out because there's 1% that I really am not okay with? Well, no, I say, okay, God is trustworthy. Jesus said that this was the word of God. He, Jesus himself, continually quotes from the Old Testament uh, and teaches his apostles who write the New Testament. So we can hold on to the difficulty in the context of God's trustworthiness. The Bible, God breathed our manual for life, our manual for everything, for how to deal with career, pressure, singleness and marriage, child, rearing, being old, being young, giving, forgiving. It gives, it gives us everything. And uh, it was Mark Twain, wasn't it, who said, it's not the difficult bits of the Bible that I've got a problem with, it's the easy bits of the Bible I've got a problem with. It's the bits I understand, because they tell me how to reorientate my life. And I'm not sure I want to reorientate my life away from myself uh, and towards God and to other people. So God has spoken to us in in different ways, but he speaks to us in a special way through the Bible. Not to restrict us and to put us in a cage, but to set us free. Uh, I came here on the district line. If there were no rails on the district line, you could say the train would be more free. It wouldn't have just to go on the rails. It could go where it wanted to go. But it wouldn't be much of a train. And maybe we have to remind each other, and I know I need to remind myself when I, you know, 
my third ear says, no, don't pick up the Bible because it's going to have a challenge in, in it for you for today and you could really do without that. And I say, no, actually, it does come with a challenge, but it's a challenge that sets me free because God knows that that's how my full and true humanity comes to the surface. Uh, and just living with my own small agenda is, is not my full and true humanity. My small agenda is just, a, is just a tiny part of who God wants me to be and he's got a big agenda for me, for all of us. And his rules, if you like, his word, are railway tracks and they set us free. Uh, they're not bars on a cage. And God continues to speak to us. It's not just a dry historical word written in history, but it's a word that goes on and speaks to us today. Jesus said this. Uh, jo- John wrote some words of Jesus in chapter 5 in his, in his gospel. He said... Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you, think, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is talking to a bunch of people uh, who were named the Pharisees, who made a bigger deal of the scriptures than of God. They made a bigger deal of the scriptures than of Jesus. They made the scriptures the ends in themselves. And the reason I mention this is because the last thing I want to be heard as saying tonight is, if we want to be good Christians, then we must read the Bible. The really important thing to do as a result of listening to this talk is read the Bible more. I mean, it probably is a good thing to read the Bible more. Um, but not because of the Bible. But because the Bible leads us deeper into our relationship with God. The Bible is a bridge. And we cross over that bridge to meet with God. He crosses over that bridge to meet with us. It is a window. It pulls back the curtains to show us God, to show us Jesus more fully. Uh, It is not the end in itself. It is not the point. I come to the Bible to meet with God. And Jesus is the one who makes that possible. Jesus is the one on the cross who opened the way so that I could do that. And the scripture, if you like, just allows me to continue revisiting and understanding more deeply. The scripture is not, in and of itself, a sort of magic bullet. And if I read the Bible enough, then God accepts me. So I'm sure nobody thinks that that's what I'm saying. But just in case anybody thought that's what I was saying, I definitely am not. So what about reading the Bible in a practical sense? Let me conclude with these thoughts and then uh, there's time for group discussion. Reading the Bible in a practical sense. Well, it's not necessarily, as I said, always easy. And so getting help to read the Bible is a good thing to do on the bookstore. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. And this little book is brilliant because what it has is about five to ten pages on every single book of the Bible. So if you're coming to a bit of the Bible, you think this is actually really tricky. You can go to a book like this. Uh, and just say, okay, well, what is Luke really going on about? Or what is the book of Revelation really going on about? And it gives you a sort of crib sheet. gives you sort of cheat notes. Uh, how to read the Bible. Get some help reading the Bible, but read the Bible. And I say this to myself uh, as much as to anybody else, because it is so easy to put it off. But make time to read the Bible. That, I mean, in a way, I can sit down now. What should we do? We should make some time, and we should read it. Maybe just a small amount, maybe just five or ten verses. Every day, just say, I'm closing the door, I'm switching off the phone, 
I'm having five minutes, I'm having ten minutes, I'm just going to look at it. And I'm going to see what God is saying to me. I'm going to pray, I'm going to say, God, I'm opening up your word, please speak to me. I really need to be spoken to, I really need the bread that comes from God, rather than just, you know, the creation. I really need uh, the word of God, speak to me. And read it, and say, well, what does this say? You know, I open a piece of the Bible, and it's there in front of me. What does it actually say? It's very easy to think, oh, I've read that before, I know exactly what it says, uh, and sort of glance through it. That's I do that the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I've read that, glance through. I'm looking for a new bit, a titillating bit, an exotic bit that I haven't read before. <laughs> oh, I, I came across somebody the other day called Nimrod. And I knew that the RAF had a plane called the Nimrod, but I didn't know that Nimrod was in the Bible. Oh, I like that, and I started reading about Nimrod. But actually, you know, there's stuff that is under our noses every day. Uh, and just because we're familiar with it doesn't mean that God hasn't got something special in it for us today. What does it say? What does it mean? What's it mean to me? Really straightforward questions to ask. And then just to pray that in. God, this is what I think you've said to me today, as I've looked at, at these verses in the Bible. Help me. Put them into practice. Now, I'm teaching... Uh, you know, grandmothers to suck eggs, as they say, because I'm sure that you all have heard this or know this or do this. Uh, so I say it to myself as, as much as to anyone. Um, but we need to grab it and look at it and pray on it. And I believe, and I can say with confidence, that over time, maybe not overnight, but over time, we will know Jesus more fully. He will cross that bridge and meet with us and we will meet with him more fully day by day by day. And that's guaranteed. And that's not my guarantee. Uh, it's his. So I'm going to stop. And I'm going to stop with a prayer. Can we pray together? Is that alright? Let's have a, a closing prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you that you give us your word. Thank you that you do speak to us through the Bible. And we pray tonight that you would speak to us individually into whatever situation we're in in our lives at the moment. Whether we're in good times or difficult times. We pray that we would hear your voice. And we pray that it would change our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.